Um, my Mother's Day message today is called A Bloom for Every Season. And thus, I have the flowers here and put my glasses on. Um, this time of year, we hear a lot about flowers blooming. And even last week, we celebrated apple blossom, which they called the bloom, as we know it. And of course, today we celebrate Mother's Day, and um, all mothers love flowers. I know I do. How many of you got flowers for your mothers for Mother's Day? Anybody? Okay, good, good. I love how every flower has a season when it blooms. The crocus in late winter, the daffodils and tulips and petunias in the early spring, followed by the forsythia, the cherry, the red buds, and the dogwoods. And soon all the summer flowers make their appearances, the irises, the peonies, daisies, and roses. And in the late summer, the sunflowers in their crowning glory. Finally comes fall with its brilliant array of colorful chrysanthemums. I was curious to know what the oldest flower in the world was, and I found two amazing examples. This first one is called the Rose of Hildesheim. It's in Germany and is, is more than a thousand years old. It's believed to be the oldest living rose on the planet. It's 69 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and it's believed to have been established by King Louis the Pious back in the year 815. Actually, the rose was already there when he arrived on the scene. Um, he saw some sort of miracle happen and decided to build a cathedral next to this rose. And over the years, this rose climbed up the cathedral walls and bloomed through many, many, many years. In World War II, um, Allied bombers bombed this area, and the cathedral was destroyed completely by fire. But in the ruins, the rosebush somehow survived and continued to blossom among the ruins. Um, in the 50s and 60s, they rebuilt the cathedral, and the, the rosebush continued to climb the cathedral, and people came from all over the world to see this 1,000-year-old rose. It is so resilient that this rose still thrives today. Imagine all the seasons this rose has seen over a 1,000 years, both good and bad, and yet it still blooms. The other example I found is not the oldest, but the largest in the world. The Lady Banksia Rose was planted in Tombstone, Arizona in the late 1800s by a newly married immigrant wife from Scotland. She and her husband lived at the inn where it grows. Her family sent her a cutting from a rose that she had planted as a child and sent it from Scotland to Arizona where she planted it in the desert at this inn. How could a woman or a rose withstand such a climate change from Scotland to the desert? But they both flourished and grew, and the rose spread so much they had to add trellises and buildings around it to support its weight, and families grew around it too. And now it covers 9,000 square feet, which is almost as big as this building that we're in, 
with a trunk diameter of 14 inches. It has sheltered generations of family and friends under its shade, and they say its fragrance permeates the whole town when it blooms. Even in the desert, it still blooms. Now, let me show you my favorite flowers. These flowers are the real deal. For you see, this is my mother's family, and their last name is Flowers. This family was established by Willie Otis and Claudia Marie almost 100 years ago. They had 10 children, of which my mother is the youngest and prettiest flower, <laughs> Judith Dawn Flowers Rawson. Now, one of my aunts is named Lily June Flowers, which I thought was very clever. But I must admit, if I was my grandmother, I probably would have gotten carried away and named my kids April Flowers, May Flowers, Iris Flowers, Petunia Flowers. But then you come to the five boys, and that would be more difficult. I thought, well, perhaps Sunny Flowers or Chrysanthemum Flowers. But they all had very wonderful, just ordinary names. Um, this family of Mississippi dairy farmers has seen many seasons of joys and sorrows, life and death, sickness and health, but they continued to serve one another and bloom in every season by their faith. Now, this picture of my mother, is she is one of the greatest examples of blooming in every season. This was taken when she was Jones County Dairy Princess, my husband likes to call her cow queen, but she says, no, 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 no. Dairy princess, and not dairy queen, but dairy princess. And about this time when she was uh, in junior college, um, her mother had a stroke, and her brother broke his neck and was bedridden. And she dropped out of junior college to help take care of them. Um, even after she was married and had myself and my sister, she went back to college in the evenings to get a degree in special education and taught for 11 years. But her most important role was as a mother to my sister Sanja and myself, taking us to church, teaching us about Jesus. And because of her, I can stand here today and do the same for other people's children. My mom has experienced many seasons as a daughter, a wife, mother, teacher, leader, caregiver. She's always had a servant's heart in every season of her life. We are so blessed to have her. She is the most beautiful flower of all, and I'd like for her to come up so I can give her some flowers. I love you. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. She'll always be my favorite flower. She's still so cute. 
And mothers, mothers, and that includes grandmothers and our spiritual moms and our caregivers that are like mothers to us, um, they are like flowers. They're resilient and they're strong. They're shelter for their families. Their fragrance permeates the atmosphere around them. Even in a desert place or uprooted from their homes, they bloom. Even through fire and the ravages of time, they are survivors. Age does not stop them from their purpose. In every season, they find a way to bloom. And my text today is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and verse 11. And so we read, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And verse 11 tells us, He has made everything beautiful in its time. I'm sure most mothers have experienced some, if not all, of these different kinds of seasons. And there are many examples in the Bible of very resilient mothers who have gone through different seasons in their lives. And I think their examples can speak to all of us, whether we're mothers or not. The first one I would like to speak about is Eve. And Eve shows us that even when we sin or make mistakes, God can still accomplish his purpose in our lives. Let's read from Genesis 1, through 28, which Laura has already read for us today. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And that was the purpose, right? Then Genesis 2, 8 and 9, in verse 15, we read, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge and good of good and evil. In verse 15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. Everything was good and beautiful, but then things after that, we know that things went, went wrong. And we find uh, what happened with that. Genesis 3, 8 through 13, the aftermath. Then the man and woman, his wife, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Can you imagine God saying that to you? Oh man, that would be harsh. Now we all know the story of the fall of man in Genesis. It all takes place in a garden. Eve lived in that beautiful garden full of every kind of flower, flowering plant and tree and fruit that you can possibly imagine. And she loved her life in the garden. It was all she had ever known. God had given them a charge, a purpose, and a plan to be fruitful and multiply and take care of the earth so that the earth and everything in it could be fruitful and multiply. Everything was wonderful and good until that fateful day when Eve and Adam were deceived by the serpent. And God said to her, what have you done? As the words sank in, she became aware of something she had never experienced, the awareness of sin. What have I done, she thought. This question and the accompanying guilt and shame would haunt her the rest of her life. As she left her beloved garden, she began to experience the consequences of sin. She had never experienced consequences before. Separation from God, strained relationship with her husband, the hard work of starting over and making a garden among thorns and thistles, but God wasn't done with Eve. She repented and bloomed and planted again. Even then, his redemption was at work in her life. And God's purpose would still be fulfilled, which we read in Genesis 3.20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Eve was so happy to become a mother and fulfill God's plan for her life despite her mistakes. Though she lost both Cain to sin and Abel to death, she bore another son, Seth who became the seed bearer of the one who would crush the serpent's head. Eve lived a long life and bore many sons and daughters, and she became the mother of all mothers and fathers. Despite the difficult seasons of her life, she bloomed. Now we come to Sarah. And Sarah shows us that it, you are never too old to see God's promises fulfilled in your life. We read from Genesis 17, verse 15 through 17. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And we find out that God did keep his promise. In Genesis 21, verse 1 and 2 and 6 and 7, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised 
him. And then Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah had lived into her 80s, being a wife and running her household. She was a beautiful and creative woman, but she got tired of waiting for God's promised son. When she took matters into her own hands and gave her maid Hagar to Abraham, she thought it would make things better. But instead, she brought tension and jealousy into her home and her marriage. Sometimes we run ahead of God and think that we can force his promises in our lives, but, but God's timing is not ours. We may think we're too old to do this or that, or we may laugh like Sarah in disbelief or doubt that things will ever change. God says, don't laugh. Watch what I can do with people who say they're too old. Like me sometimes when I say, I'm too old at 60-something to be a children's pastor. But God laughs at that. They say that the most productive years of a person's life are between the ages of 60 and 70. The second most productive is between 50 and 60, and the third most productive is 70 to 80. So there's still, there's still plenty of time for us, isn't there, us old people? For Sarah, she became a first-time mother at 90 and gave birth to a nation as vast as the stars in the sky. Even though she struggled with seasons of doubt, Unbelief and jealousy, she persevered and she bloomed. Next, we come to Hannah. And Hannah shows us how to call upon the Lord in difficulty and depression and trust that he hears and answers our prayers. Um, we, we come to 1 Samuel verse, chapter 1, verse 9 through 18. And uh, before this time, Hannah had been very had been barren for a long time wanting a child but having none being very sad and to make it even worse uh, her husband's other wife bullied her belittled her and pestered her constantly which led her to be very depressed and sorrowful and so we find here in first samuel um, we pick up on verse 9 once after a sacrificial meal in shiloh Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I've, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. 
In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat, and she was no longer sad. And we know the Lord kept his promise. Samuel was born to her, and she so enjoyed being his mother. But she did keep her vow to the Lord. And we pick up in 1 Samuel 1, verse 24 through 28, to see uh, what she did at that point. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice, a basket of flour, and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord. And he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there. So I think of Hannah through her barrenness, bullying, belittling, and depression, that even then she sought the Lord in the difficult, hard seasons of her life until her prayers were answered in God's way, in God's timing. She had a son that she loved and adored, nurtured and taught, and then she greatly gratefully offered him back to the Lord. She kept her vow, thanked God for him, and continued to be his mother in whatever way she could, visiting him in different seasons, bringing him new coats every year. In time, Hannah had other children at home to nurture and enjoy. In every season, she found a way to bloom. Next, I'd like to talk about Naomi. Naomi shows us that God can redeem even the worst situation, bring something good out of it. Um, now, we'll pick up in Ruth 1, verse 20 through 21. This, the worst case scenario has happened, which we'll get that backstory here in a minute. But this is how Hannah, I mean, uh, Naomi is feeling here in, in this verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So that's, that's the before. Now here we get to see the end of the story after Ruth 4 verse 13 through 17 Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife when he slept with her the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son then the women of the town said to Naomi praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family may this child be famous in Israel may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own son. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now the backstory for Naomi. She was the mother of two sons, a wife who was uprooted from her home 
moved to a faraway land only to survive the death of her husband and her two sons. Her name, Naomi, meant pleasant or sweet, but she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. It was a season of famine in the land, and for her a season of death and bitterness. How often have we been angry and bitter at God, blaming him for our suffering and our tragedy, not knowing that God was working all along to bring good out of what the enemy meant for evil. God sent a young woman, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, to bring healing and hope back into Naomi's life. Together they became a family. Naomi found a new season to bloom as Ruth's advisor and head of the family. Ruth had her Cinderella story with Boaz and went from widow to wife to mother of a son. Naomi's season of bitterness and sorrow passed and a new season of joy of being a grandmother to Obed, who became like her very own son. Her heart and her family were full again, and she bloomed. And last but not least, we come to Mary, Jesus' mother. And Mary shows us that God has a plan for us and for our children. We read in Luke 1, 26 through 38, a story you're all very familiar with. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. We just sang that this morning, didn't we? The Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. Mary was so young when God spoke to her. How could she possibly become the mother of the Messiah? She was just a girl herself. But nothing is impossible with God. She believed what the angel of the Lord told her. But imagine having to explain that to Joseph. I mean, any young woman who has experienced an unplanned pregnancy would understand her fear and uncertainty. But God had a plan, and Mary trusted her life, and her baby's life was in his hands. 
Now imagine watching the nativity unfold your, before your very eyes as an expectant mother. The uncomfortable trip on a donkey when you're nine months pregnant to Bethlehem. Then giving birth for the very first time in a stinky stable surrounded by animals. Wrapping your newborn son in the only thing you could find, which is cloths that were used to wrap baby lambs in. Putting him in hay in a trough because you have no cradle. And then there were these late nights from unexpected visitors like shepherds and, and strangers from faraway lands bringing expensive gifts, gifts to your surprise baby shower. But it's not a Christmas play, it's your life. <laughs> the season as a new mom is full of lots of surprises, birthing pains and unexpected joys. And she treasured it all in her heart because she didn't want to forget a single moment of being the mother of the Messiah. Then Mary settled into the busyness of being a mom, feeding Jesus, caring for him, dressing him, changing him, teaching him, cooking, cleaning. I'm sure the time flew by faster than she anticipated. She had other children, and she loved being her mom. Her life with Joseph and the kids was a blessed and full one. Then, before she knew it, it was over. Joseph was gone. The kids had grown up and left the nest to start their own families. The noisy house was quiet. It was the season of the empty nest. Jesus had left too. It was his season to do what the Father sent him to do. Mary knew this time would come someday for her to share Jesus, her son, with the world. He was only hers for a short time. It was her season to support him, believe him, be his biggest fan, and become one of his faithful followers. But... The worst pain a mother can experience is to watch her child suffer, to watch him be rejected, despised, beaten, mocked, and hung on a cross to die. A mother's heart broken, just as the Father in heaven's heart was broken to watch their son dying on the cross for the sins of the world. The scriptures tell us that weeping endures for the night, as every mother knows who has cried through the night for her child. But joy comes in the morning. Mary was there on the morning that he arose. She was there as he appeared to his followers to watch him ascend into heaven. She was there in the upper room to receive the Holy Spirit. A new season of new life had begun. She became part of the early church telling the story of her son, the Messiah, to others who would write it down for us. She bloomed again. So, what season are you in? Are you in a season like Eve? You've sinned. You've messed up. The guilt and shame of what you've done weighs heavy on you. You have to start over from scratch, and it's a hard season. Fall on your knees in repentance, and he will lift you up in redemption. God has a comeback plan for you to crush the enemy and take back what he has stolen from you so that you can give birth to God's purpose for your life. 
dig up that hard ground, clear out the thorns and thistles, plant a seed of faith, and bloom. The verse for you is Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will not, never count against them. Amen. Are you in a season like Sarah? You think you're too old to give birth to new things, new dreams, new ministries, or ways to serve the Lord? You doubt that old dreams or promises from God will be fulfilled in your lifetime. Nothing is too difficult for God. Age is nothing to him. As long as we have life and breath, he can use you. Your potential for the kingdom is still alive as long as you are. You can become a prayer warrior or a spiritual mom or a father to many more than you could ever physically. So reach for the stars. There's still time to shine and bloom. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Are you in a season like Hannah, a season of disappointment and depression and sadness? What your heart desires most seems out of reach. God knows your heart's desire. Pour your heart out to him as Hannah did, and let him bring you comfort and peace. He hears and answers prayers in ways we do not understand. Pray and trust God that he has a plan, and let him bring you joy right now in the season you're in. Isaiah 61 verse 3 tells us that he consoles those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Amen. Are you in a season like Naomi, in a season of loss? Life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. You've lost people you loved or been uprooted from your home. Maybe you're bitter and angry at God for the way things are, and you feel hopeless and helpless. My daughter, God isn't done with you. He still has a good future planned for you beyond what you can imagine. He is the Redeemer. He redeems our life from the destruction of the enemy. Find your place in the family of God. Find someone else who is lonely and hurting and help them. Trust God to work all things together for good and find a way to bloom. Isn't it amazing that Megan quoted the same scripture when she was leading worship? Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Are you in a season like Mary? In a season of being a young mother, busy with a newborn, or young children, or teenagers, God forbid, in a house to take care of, wouldn't want to do that again. 
Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Wanting to do your best to raise them to fear the Lord and become all that they can be for the kingdom. Wondering what they will be and do when they are grown, but trying to treasure every moment of their childhood in your heart. You are not alone, moms. God is with you. He tells us in Isaiah 40, verse 11, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The shepherd holds our children close to his heart. You don't have to be the perfect mom. Just follow the shepherd and he will lead you. God has a plan for our children just as surely as he has a plan for us. Seek him and trust him daily. Leave the dishes in the sink and go for a walk or read a book with your kids. The dishes will keep, but the children won't. Enjoy this crazy busy time of your life for soon it will be a different season. Treasure every moment and bloom. You never stop being a mother, even when your children are grown. You find other opportunities to nurture, to give, to love, to bloom. After all, God created us all to bloom. He created a garden and put a man and woman in the garden to tend all those beautiful flowers. As mothers, we are guardians of the flowers that grow inside of us until they are born. We nurture those tender little ones, train them on the trellis of faith, teach them and watch them grow stronger and taller every year until they can stand on their own two feet, independent of us, and then we must let go. The season of motherhood is gone, but our blooming isn't done. We bloom with prayers and advice, lots of prayers and more prayers and turn to others who need our spiritual nurturing. We plant new relationships and opportunities and nurture new dreams. In every season, we can bloom. Someday we might find that our children have children and there's a new season to bloom as grandparents, or perhaps it's a season of caregiving to our own parents or family members, or we enter a season of being spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers in the family of God. It may be your season to teach or preach or volunteer or serve. We are never done blooming. We just enter new seasons. As we do, our fragrance grows stronger and stronger and our branches spread wider beyond our small beginnings. We still bloom. Maybe you're a grandmother or caregiver, a teacher or leader, coach, pastor or foster parent, spiritual mother or single dad, Whatever role and season you're in, God is using you to raise up the next generation. Whatever, what you do matters for eternity. God will bless you and give you strength to finish what you started, to run the race and not grow weary, to walk and not faint, to bloom where you're planted. In whatever season you find yourself in right now, you will reap a harvest in this life and in eternity if you do not give up. Psalm 1 verse 3 says in conclusion, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. With God's help, there is a way to bloom in every season that you find yourself in. So go out and bloom. Thank you.